0: What a difference a year makes, right? OU Texas 2018 showed Mike Stoops his walking papers. OU Texas 2019 showed that Alex Grinch can coach. After the Sooners beat the Longhorns 34-27 Saturday and what was the most dominating seven-point win I've ever seen, Grinch said multiple times that, quote, football is hard. And at one point, Grinch said, quote, playing defensive football in 2019 is extremely difficult. Grinch said those things, not after an embarrassing performance, like what we saw from the Sooners in 2018, but after a stellar performance against what's been one of the best offenses in college football this year. Yes, football is hard. Playing good defense is more difficult than ever. It's just that Sooners teams in years past made it look even more difficult. Football looked really hard to that Oklahoma defense one year ago against Texas. You remember that game, the game in which Texas went touchdown, field goal, touchdown, touchdown, touchdown in its first five true possessions. You remember that oh, OU finally got the Horns off the field for the first time all day, six minutes into the third quarter, then gave up touchdown, touchdown on Texas's next two drives. The Horns had scored 45 points before the third quarter had even ended. That wasn't even this year's Texas offense that's been the best it's been in years, that was a Texas offense that had scored 29 in a loss to Maryland, managed only 28 in a seven-point win over Tulsa, and was coming off a whopping 19-point outburst the week before against Kansas State. The 2018 Texas offense was fine in early October, but Oklahoma made it look like a juggernaut. Again, what a difference a year makes saturday texas's offense which coming into the game was ranked fourth overall by s&p plus went punt 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 field goal punt in its first six possessions after the horns finally scored a touchdown against the sooners six minutes into the third quarter ou's defense answered forcing texas to go three and out on the next two series texas gained negative 10 yards Naturally, because this was OU Texas, the Sooners found a way to make us all super frustrated about something. The offense was sloppy against what's been a bad Texas defense. The Sooners failed to take advantage of the defense's dominant first half. Sure, the Longhorns did score points on their final three drives of the game, but when Oklahoma's defense needed the offense to pick them up, the offense did. After Texas scored to make it 20-17, C.D. Lamb made a play. C.D. made a lot of plays Saturday, and the Sooners went back up two scores, 27-17. When Cameron Dicker made his second field goal of the game to make it 27-20, Jalen Hurts punched it in from three yards out to give Oklahoma a two-touchdown lead with four minutes to play. When Texas again cut the lead to one score, OU's offense got the football and killed the clock. Ball game. Fair or not, Saturday was always going to be an important test for Oklahoma's new speed D. And it's a test that Oklahoma passed with high marks. It's mid-October. And once again, the Sooners are a legitimate college football playoff contender. But for the first time since 2015, it's not just the offense that's playoff caliber. OU's got a real defense now. And if you're still a little unsure about that, maybe ask Samuel Cosme his thoughts. I'm Lee Benson. This is West of Everest.
1: Second down and 10 at the 49. They run it again. Flea flicker. Hurts. Wide open. C.D. in space. C.D. Lamb still running. Hits a corner. C.D. for the TD. 51 yards.
0: C.D. Lamb's ridiculous touchdown catch and run on the flea flicker called by Lincoln Riley welcomes us into the show today. Lamb was the best player on the field Saturday at the Cotton Bowl. Ten catches, 171 yards, and three touchdowns. The Sooners beat Texas 34-27, and again, what was the most dominant seven-point victory maybe I've ever seen. Hey, everybody. Again, I am Lee Benson. This is West of Everest, and I want to get right into it today, so let's bring in Grant to talk all about what we saw Saturday. And Grant, you didn't mention this at all during the last podcast when we were previewing the game, but you had a wedding on Saturday right how did that work out with the OU Texas game
1: well I ended up not going to the ceremony and I, we just ended up going to the uh to the reception so um yeah as you guys know I mean I, I had surgery earlier this week and I'm still kind of not feeling the greatest and it's been the mornings where I haven't felt the great the, the best so we decided just to kind of skip it to rest and I was able to watch the game and it was a very stressful time anyway so I'm not sure it was good for me but um yeah, so I was able to watch the entire game, thankfully.
0: So it was a really stressful time, but not for the reason why it's been stressful in the last few years. Because the defense, Grant, from the get-go, set the tone and got Texas off the field over and over and over again. But it ended up being the Tech, uh, excuse me, the Oklahoma offense that was coming up short over and over and over again, which was bizarre. But I think the first thing we got to get into is just the way the defense played, and uh, I focused on the defense during the opening take. I mean, what is there to say? I, you know, you and I, we have a lot to talk about in this game. As the game went on, I took a bunch of notes. You said you have a bunch of notes to me off the air. You rewatched it as well. I think we got to start defensively, and right off the bat, I mean, a three and out. We came into this game. Yeah, you, know, you were a little bit more positive after that Kansas game defensively. I was a little more pessimistic and if we're going to be uh people that take a you know we're going to i guess make a call like you know who was I don't know if there's a right or a wrong in there but I'd say if there was a right or wrong you seem to be right about that because Oklahoma was certainly ready for Texas and what only allowed the three points in the first half and a three and out to start the game uh, how cool was it to see i mean first play from scrimmage from Texas grant Tackle for loss. DTY coming up, making a play, getting a tackle. I think it was DuVernay who, uh, who was there. At, at, yeah, Devin DuVernay on the little orbit motion, got the swing pass, and boom, right off the bat, great start, tackle for loss, and then Oklahoma gets them off the field three and out. How exciting was it to see how good the defense played?
1: Obviously, it was great. I don't even really know where to start. Um,
0: yeah, I know. Even, we're we're kind of flying by the seat of our pants here.
1: Yeah, So, I, what else? Okay, how about we just kind of start up front? I suppose. Or, I mean, we can go in like, we can go in order of events. But no, I mean, they were, the defense was spectacular on Saturday. Um, Definitely the best defensive performance since the 2017 game in Columbus at Ohio State. And frankly, this performance was better than that one. This one was more dominant. Um, I, looking over the stat sheet and, and remembering the 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 swings of momentum during the game and the different plays that were made, I'm sitting here scratching my head. I don't know how Texas scored twenty-seven points. <laughs> they only they only averaged a little over four yards per play, which is Oklahoma's best performance this season so far against anyone. And it's even more impressive considering that guys, Texas is an elite level offense in 2019. Like you said, they were fourth in SP offense coming into this game one of the more efficient teams in the country, arguably the best team in the country on third down, Oklahoma dominated them. They had to scratch and claw for every single yard that they got. It was really hard for them on Saturday. OU's defense could not have been more impressive. That was a national championship caliber performance. Now, I think it's important not to completely overreact. It's just one game, and it it was their best performance of the season, which is encouraging, but at the same time, it's like, you know, where was that against South Dakota at the same time? So um, I'm going to pump the brakes a little bit, but I mean, how can you not be excited? They were dominant. They
0: were dominant. I think the response to, I mean, I know that it's kind of a flippant comment about South Dakota, but one, obviously at South Dakota, the motivation isn't quite there compared to uh, Texas. And also, too, I mean, that was now Grant. I mean, that was a month ago now. I mean, I know it's not that long, but as far as snaps game, a uh, game experience, I mean, this is still a work in progress, and six games into the Alex Grinch era, and you made the point a couple of games ago. Maybe the Texas Tech game. I don't know if you made the point after the Kansas game, but you know the defense is obviously improving. You can see it; it's getting better and better, which is a sign of a good team. And the best performance of the year comes in the most recent game of the year against Oklahoma's biggest rival. I think that's the difference. Is I mean you. You always want the motivation to be as high as it possibly can be, but we're all human beings. It's always going to be more and more against Texas. And even though the players – some of the players would admit to that last week. Alex Grinch certainly admitted to it, saying that you can't shy away from a rivalry. You can't downplay it because that's just the way it is. Um, They were incredibly prepared. They knew what they were doing, and it was really fun to watch. And so the concern is – now you said you want to pump the brakes, and I'm with you. I mean – We've been burned so many times by an Oklahoma defense the last three, four years that uh, just kind of throwing this out there, Grant. Did you get the sense in that game, even though we saw Oklahoma's defense playing so well the entirety of the game, didn't you kind of have that feeling, though, even though you knew that they were playing well, that eh, this is Oklahoma's defense at any second, it might look like it has it has looked the last two years. Did you ever, I mean, is that kind of the way you watched that entire game? Because that's yeah. kind of how I watched the game. Yeah,
1: I mean, that game was very unnerving. Because, exactly because of that, because Texas just hung around and hung around, and it felt like it was just going to be any moment where they sort of just snapped out of it. But that wasn't the case. And I think maybe, perhaps maybe the most, uh, the thing about this game that is that is that excites me the mostly is just how prepared they looked on defense. The coaching staff identified everything that Texas did well and what made their offense tick, and they made a point to strangle it. And they were very, very successful doing that. Uh, Just um, that little swing pass that they throw to Duvernay, which is one of the staples of their offense, that was a terrible play for Texas on Saturday. It went for negative yardage, it seemed like, every single time. And it was because the Sooners recognized it, they had a plan to stop it, and they executed really, really well. Uh, Brendan Radley-Hiles, Buki, uh, he had his best game as a as a college player. I think that is that is blatantly obvious. He was great. He erased Devin Duvernay. How insane is that?
0: <laughs> well, you said you went back and rewatched the game. How close were you watching it? Because my thoughts on Brendan Radley Hiles is that I honestly didn't notice him a whole lot, except for the really nice open field tackle he had on uh, I believe Ingram or Johnson late in the game. But outside of that. I noticed that he was, you know, playing his nickel spot, and you know that there was one play where I think Texas was running the option or something like that, and he came up and crashed and took the pitch man, and uh, but I didn't notice him a whole lot because usually when I was kind of watching and looking at Duvernay, a lot of the times Oklahoma came out and, I, you know, let's keep talking about Radley House. Did. Answer that question. Did you how close did you watch it? I mean, was he on Duvernay quite a bit?
1: Yeah, pretty much the entire game. Every single time that Duvernay went out like uh, in motion on that swing pass, Buki was aggressively on him every single time. The very first play of the game, D. T. Y. was the one who had the tackle for a loss, but it was Buki who made the play on that. He was the one who forced Duvernay inside. He was doing that okay. the entire game. And okay. then of course, good. yeah, and then for the fir- and for the very first time, he showed like he, he was tackling
0: in the open field. He looked good. Like I mean, he just he- Go ahead. Yeah, I know, yeah. I mean, just that one I'm thinking of, and I'm not sure how many tackles he had total. I guess I could bring it up here on the stats. But, I mean, just that one in the second half where he was decisive, he closed, and he took out the running back's legs with no problem. And sometimes, it, I mean, we've seen him in the last you know, year and a half, he'll dive at people's legs, but maybe he'll be kind of half-hearted or he'll, he'll kind of aim badly and they'll just kind of sidestep him and kind of keep going. Uh, you know that was I know it's it's one tackle but I think when it comes to Brendan Radley Hiles that that's been his knock is that he can't tackle and so I think whenever he does make a really nice tackle it's you got to point it out you got to you got to say hey it was a nice tackle and man what a confidence builder hopefully that is for him as the season moves on
1: yeah it seemed like maybe because it it seemed like because he was keying so much on Duvernay it makes me wonder if it's like Maybe he was playing better, just what with with that singular focus of "Hey, I'm on Duvernay. Hey, I got to stop this swing pass." Maybe that focused and it makes it a little easier on him. Um, but I I just wanted to bring up another play because Buki was making quiet plays all over all over the uh, the field on Saturday, and uh, there was another one. Lee, it was in the third quarter. This was after the Sooners had just gone up seventeen to ten, and it was after Duvernay had like um, I think that weird thing where he called the fair catch and then dropped it, and they got mm-hmm. it at the five or whatever. But that very first play, Lee, um they or it, it was somewhere down there. But the very first play, they were gonna run that swing pass to Duvernay, and Buki was on it so much that Ellinger just didn't even throw it because Buki was so on top of it. Maybe and that's it, what I was thinking and of when it, I yeah, said that the option like a second ago, yeah. And, and that's the play that led to Jalen Redmond sacking sacking Ellinger. It was that was totally on Buki.
0: So, um he was great. He had a great game. Yeah, he did. He uh only two tackles, but I'm glad you did more of a thorough rewatch than I had a chance to. So it's it's good that you could point him out. Speaking of the secondary, and yeah, I, we're just gonna kind of jump around. This could this is like a grab bag of stuff because you brought up Duvernay and, and Radley Hiles, but what I noticed a lot of the times is that. But uh, let's do it in in this segment because part of the last podcast was, hey Grant, how do you feel about the idea of David Obuebu coming in as a Sam backer and rotating with? Brendan Radley-Hiles at nickel, and we were kind of debating what's going to happen with that, how is that going to look in this game, and you weren't very – you were pretty uneasy about it, and I was kind of like, ah, wait and see, let's see what happens. And from what I could tell, and maybe you noticed more on a rewatch, I don't think Oklahoma did that at all, and I think it might have just been, let's put this on tape for Texas to think that maybe we're going to do this because what I saw as the, I guess, wrinkle, if you will, against Texas was that Oklahoma played a lot of dime. And they brought Jaden Davison as the sixth defensive back, and I saw him one-on-one quite a bit with Devin DuVernay in the slot. For example, on Pat Fields' big sack when he splits from the free safety spot, it was Jaden Davis playing slot corner on Devin DuVernay, and Ellinger looked his way, and Davis took DuVernay away, which gave... Ellinger, more you know, he had to go to his next read, and that's the gave Fields time to get there to make the sack. So, how much did you notice Jaden Davis out there when you were watching it? I
1: did. I noticed him, and yeah, he was he, he was manned up on on Duvernay when they were in dime a lot of the time, and he did well. He did really well. Everyone everyone on the defense played well on on Saturday. I think if you want to nitpick, I think the one guy who didn't have a great day was Trey Brown, but it's like he wasn't even. It's not like he was aggressively terrible or anything. He was fine. So um, it, was just, it, was, it was a great day overall. And I think uh, Jaden Davis is, is emerging as a, as a special player, I think. There was, he, he made some plays as well in the run game as well where I think he did a good job of, of keeping leverage, outside leverage, and forcing guys inside. Um, God, he's good. He's good. And so Motley had some nice moments as well. He had some moments where he got beat as well. Um, but really, Lee, in, in terms of the secondary, the guys I want to talk about the most are the safeties. Because I think quiet, I mean quietly, they've put back-to-back really good games together, and just to single out Delar uh, and Turner Yell, he's looking like he's putting it together to become like a like a good college football player. Like he looks really
0: good. How is uh, how cool is that for you, Grant? Considering that you were on the DTY train, uh, you know what is it when he first got on campus? Essentially, yeah. does that make you feel pretty good about yourself? Yeah,
1: and be- it's the, <laughs> where you know. What's driving it is his improvement in tackling in the open field. He's just he's been rock solid in that regard the last the last few games ever since you know ever since Texas Tech really. So maybe for him it really was just getting the reps and and getting the real game experience because he's flying around out there. Um, Devin Duvernay has been really difficult to tackle this season. He was the guy who ran over Grant Delpit. The guy's going to be an All American, and DTY was handling him no problem on Saturday. It was very encouraging to see.
0: You know, what was the, the thing about him that you really liked, though, when you watched some of his college tape? You liked the fact that he flew around and was really aggressive and was a kind of a big hitter, right? And my knock yeah. on him, yeah. and you know, I'm not an expert on watching high school tape, but my knock on him was, man, he plays you know, mid-level high school ball in Texas. I'm not so sure how many times that he sees teams that can actually throw the football. I'm concerned about the way he plays in pass coverage. Well, I, he hasn't really been asked to do a whole lot of – Pass coverage, playing that strong safety spot, it's like an extra linebacker in a lot of ways, and he is. Uh, Alex Grinch's defense is utilizing his skill set, which is playing aggressive and making tackles. And I, uh, I agree. He he does look a lot better, and it goes back to the spring. You know, when Alex Grinch was first here, and we heard it back then that at that time, Pat Fields and DeLarion turner Turnerell, where if they had to play a game. Tomorrow, Alex Grinch said back in what was it? You know, March. You know, during during spring ball, that those would be your starting safeties. Fast forward now to mid October; those guys are still your starting safeties, and they are steadily improving. And I, you know, coming into the game, my thing was, you know, Pat Fields. You know, if we come away thinking Pat Fields had a really good game, or both of those guys had a really good game, Oklahoma's probably going to win. And heck, here you are. Here we are. A couple days later, Oklahoma's two safeties had really good games against Texas. And Oklahoma won the game, and so uh, that's that one makes me feel a little bit better because I kind of make you know it's it's always good to get that confirmation that you you know what you're watching on tape, you're seeing it, and when you see a team take things away, that makes you feel good. It makes you kind of you know feel like we know what we're doing as we're kind of looking at these uh, at these games. Not to you know pat us on the back too much, but uh, I keep thinking in my head, I don't recall a whole lot of times. Devin Duvernay, middle of the field, open finding spots like in the zone because I saw that so much on tape going into this game Grant. Did that really happen maybe once? Once, once is standing
1: out in my head and it was it was a very tight window. Davis was on him and it was it was just a good throw. I mean, so no, I mean Man. there numerous times watching Texas tape, you see Devin Duvernay just sit down in the middle of the field finding that soft spot in the zone and I that that just did not happen on Saturday, and just what a great job they did. I, I mean, that was—I have no idea how Texas scored twenty-seven points. I, I just—I just don't know.
0: <sighs> well, it'd be interesting to see what would have happened if the Oklahoma offense would have been able to to score and. and- Get some margin early in the game it's because Texas would have just just quit but we can talk about the offense later sorry go ahead
1: it's basically because every single drive in which texas didn't go three and out they scored that's that's essentially why they they got all of their yards on all four of their scoring drives or five they score five times i don't know
0: yeah five times two of them field goals so uh three touchdowns this year that texas scored no uh yes three touchdowns last year texas scored six touchdowns and also kicked two field goals, so <laughs> a bit of a bit of an upgrade. And Oklahoma never trailed in 2019. All right, I'm kind of going through my notes because you know, my notes is in cro- my notes are in chronological order because I literally every single drive I kind of just jotted things down. Uh, we need to get so we that was a good breakdown of the secondary. Let's move to the level in front of the secondary, and we got to talk about linebackers and Kenneth Murray was fantastic I have so many notes here that where I have all caps type Kenneth Murray's name and put wow or Kenneth Murray was phenomenal there and so I kind of want to go through a bit of it and it all started at second play of the game when (laughs) Kenneth Murray hogtied Devin Duvernay and Grant did that uh that tackle kind of bring you back to week one whenever he did that to uh, Derek King
1: that's exactly what I was thinking too I was like yeah that was almost a copy of of uh of week one and it wasn't derek kingley it was it was like the exact same play it was marquez stevenson it was it was was derek
0: king when derek king was uh was scrambling yeah i think no i mean he might have done to both it was a little tunnel screen
1: yeah he i think he did he had like he had two tackles similar to that but yeah he was lucky it was clean but yeah he was kind of lucky that he didn't get a hold of the face mask
0: yeah i mean good uh good on the officials for not Throwing a flag on that play, and also not throwing a flag in the game against Houston because, yeah, it they were technically clean tackles by you know by by rule, so that could have easily been called a uh, a penalty. Um, all right, so keep going. I'm looking through my notes again. Uh, one of the longer Texas drives in the first half I have here written down. You know, it, finally Oklahoma got Texas into third and six from uh, Oklahoma, the Oklahoma four to four, and this is where I wrote my notes. You know, they went into that three by one bread and butter formation where the tight end plays up back and then I saw that up back shift pre-snap which what did I tell you it happens every time they do that Texas runs the ball and on this play Texas did run the ball and Kenneth Murray was blitzing anyways and he came in disrupted the play and Texas was stopped for a loss of 2 on third down and they had to punt so that was another big play for Kenneth Murray and I will say quickly that I will admit that I did see Texas do that pre-shift or pre pre-snap shift a couple other times with that H back and then they did throw. So I don't know if that was just for Oklahoma because they knew that was on tape a lot and they wanted to get Oklahoma you know, off guard. But uh, I will admit that it wasn't always a run against Oklahoma. They did throw it a couple times off of that pre-snap shift from the H-back. Let's see. Uh, anything else on – I mean, Kenneth Murray, like there was so many nice plays. How about Kenneth Murray's ability on, uh, on third down and 11 later in the first half? He was showing blitz off of the edge field side. But he ends up spying Sam Ellinger on the play, and then Ellinger tries to scramble to the boundary to his left, and Murray just closes in no time, makes the tackle to set up a fourth down. And I think even Joel Klatt pointed it out on the broadcast, on the replay, just how fast Murray closed on Ellinger, because Ellinger, uh, you know, he looked, he almost had a ton of green grass on the left side, and probably from his perspective, he didn't see Kenneth Murray. And then just like that, Murray closes from the other side of the field and got the tackle. That was an impressive play.
1: What else can you say about him other than he was outstanding? Um I think you really saw, especially in this game, this defense and him just kind of freeing up and just being able to flow to the ball. Just how much straight line speed he has. Um and there were a couple plays where he he started on the other side of the field and ran ran plays down to, you know, to get him down before the line. Um light's starting to come on, man. I, I don't know what else to say. I, that's the I think a lot of people kind of made this observation, but that's that's the type of player that everyone was envisioning when they picked him to be the Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year in the preseason. And, you know, I, if he continues to play like that the rest of the season, I, the sky's the limit for this team
0: and this defense. I, he was great. He was great. Yeah, I mean, we always knock on the media. We, we knocked on him a lot during that. And, you know, you know, maybe the preseason media was correct about voting him as Preseason Big 12 Player of the Year because he's looking at every bit of that so far. And uh, give a lot of credit to Brian Odom, uh, the new linebackers coach, inside linebackers coach. Alex Grinch brought him in, former Sooner, and Alex Grinch always gives him credit. Kenneth Murray gives him credit when talking, and and Brian Odom clearly has has helped quite a bit with the development of not just Kenneth Murray but everybody you know in that position group. So you got to throw his name out there as well. And the last thing I have on Kenneth Murray is just another play that I wanted to ha- uh, headline or highlight, and this was a huge sequence of events grant because Texas gets a field goal to end the first half because, of course, they do. And, of course, Texas gets the ball to start the third quarter. So it's Cameron a Dicker Texas- just,
1: just nailing that 49-yard field goal is so freaking annoying.
0: Yeah, should we bring it up right now as yeah, far just as talk how about long it. it's been? It's so, so stupid. Yeah. So I tweeted out on Saturday that... Uh, I had to look this up because we've talked about this on the podcast before, but I've never done a deep dive and actually looked it up. So I went back and figured out when was the last time Texas missed a field goal in the Red River rivalry against Oklahoma in the Cotton Bowl? And I found out that the last time Texas actually missed a field goal in that game, Grant, was 2001. It's been 18 years since a Texas kicker missed a field goal against Oklahoma in that game. And it makes total sense because how many years have we been complaining about how Texas kickers they never miss they make every field goal it's just automatic in that game and again on saturday with Cameron Dicker it was automatic he was 2 for 2 kicking field goals
1: can i have some time to be a homer here real quick just to vent mm-hmm. just get something mm-hmm. off my chest sure man texas got every freaking break in that game yesterday every single one and that i mean and and that's why that's why the score was so close at the end but i'm tired of that crap I feel like that happens every year. What's wrong? What What is the universe doing? It's so annoying. I'm sick of it.
0: I'm not a Texas fan, but I'm going to play the role of somebody maybe, you know, that is a Texas fan, and I'll say, all right, one, sure, you can uh, get mad about the fumble, the Jalen Hurts fumble. That just fumbles suck, but I mean, he got hit, and he should have been going down earlier, but he's been doing, I mean, he did that against, uh, was it Houston or South Dakota where he fumbled? It's was Houston. When he was running. So, I mean, that has happened before this year. Uh, Hertz's pick his his interception was horrible throw so that wasn't really a Texas break that was just Hertz making it a bad throw. Uh, Hertz should have had another interception later in the game in the end zone that was uh, it was a tough play but it should have been picked in Oklahoma that's technically kind of an Oklahoma break that it wasn't picked off and also too I know that this is an unpopular take but the Malcolm Roach thing it, by the letter of the law was targeting and I it was a fair call however it is. Kind of a break because I don't think that was a malicious hit, and C.D. Lamb being so smart and so good, as he was kind of giving himself up to avoid a hit, him going down like that, I think kind of triggered Roach to he you know his eye level like oh like the guy's going down therefore he lowered his head that's what created that targeting opportunity. If C.D. Lamb would have just kept going and been tackled normally, I think there's no targeting there. So I think that was kind of a mini break for Oklahoma as well too in that game so that's my counter to Oklahoma getting or Texas getting every single break fair response I'm also but for the most part I, I did kind of get the feeling that yeah it's I I'm mean also, also p- like penalties wise I mean Oklahoma had fewer penalties than Texas did they did
1: yeah they did um that uh the roughing the passer call on Kenneth Murray was terrible that was atrocious I agree on that one of the worst calls I, okay I'm not gonna say one of the worst calls I've ever seen because I don't I can't instantly think back to all of them right now, but it was a really awful, awful call. I'm
0: trying to find my notes on that one because I wrote something down. And also I they and, and also they
1: missed a blatant hold on Gallimore as well earlier in the play where he got tackled because he because he destroyed Zach Shackelford again for like the thirtieth time in the game.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think during that roughing the passer call, didn't they bring in Mike Pereira and and didn't didn't they have some sort of yeah, Rebuttal, they were sitting there.
1: Like, yeah, they were sitting there talking about whether or not it should they should review it for targeting. And I'm sitting. Are you insane? It was, yeah. it was. The like, it was, it was technically perfect. He could not have done anything else. Not to mention he hit him the microsecond after the ball left Ellinger's fingers. What a terrible call that was. And it's more annoying because it it led to, it led to Texas covering. Stupid.
0: Also, oh, is that? Okay, yeah. That's my very last note. I say absolute garbage roughing the passer call on Murray. Hits him as Ellinger is throwing. Doesn't fall on him. But then Mike Pereira, though, said it should have been looked at for targeting. See, I didn't see that either. I didn't see how it could have been targeting. and It wasn't like one of those where uh, he like, fell on him with his body weight, which I think is no. only an NFL thing right Mur- now. Yeah,
1: Murray's, Murray's head was up. His, his face mask and his face was facing Ellinger, and he hit him in the chest where you're supposed to hit him. It was a terrible call. And you got DeFee who threw the flag from behind him, so he didn't even have good position. It was dumb.
0: And right after that, or, or right right before that play, was when Oklahoma got to Ellinger for the ninth time. The ninth sack of the game, Marquez Overton and Marcus Stripling getting in there as the defensive line cleaned it up. and And so, yeah, and that's what made it even worse because it's like, they were getting off the field. I guess, I mean, it would have been fourth down and eight because Texas would have gone for it, obviously. But, uh, yeah, it definitely helped out Texas there. Let's see. What were we talking about before? Um, oh, yeah. Well, oh, the, the Cameron Dicker thing. Okay, yeah, we went into a tangent about the field goal kicking. What was I – oh, Kenneth Murray. <laughs> the, a key moment in the game. You know, they got the, the field goal 10-3, to 3, Texas getting the ball after halftime. And now I got to get back up to my notes again because Oklahoma, the defense starting the third quarter, what happened? Three and out yet again, and in my notes I put, in all caps, I put, oh my gosh, Kenneth Murray, he's on the edge, this is on third down, he stems inside and sacks Ellinger on third and 11, and on the play, Neville Gallimore took up a double team, Murray slid in behind him, Ellinger never saw him, and then also this is another example where i got to throw some credit to Jaden Davis, because this is one of those plays where he was on Devin DuVernay in the slot. Ellinger looked DuVernay's way immediately, and Davis was covering him, so Ellinger had to come off of that read, and boom, there was Kenneth Murray out of nowhere. Huge play to get off the field and prevent Texas from getting any points there coming out of the locker room. So that was my last note on Kenneth Murray, and, and it was a note where, too, you can highlight Neville Gallimore and Jaden Davis as well for a great, just a great team play.
1: Guy, man, the, of, the yeah, defensive line was so good. They were so we good.
0: <laughs> we haven't really gone in detail on D-line. Let's do that now. Uh, I got my notes here. The defensive line was awesome. Six sacks from that group. Again, Oklahoma had nine total. Gallimore, two sacks. Ronnie Perkins had one. Jalen Redmond had one. Marker Stripling had one. And Mark Overton had one sack. Uh, let's see, Grant. I think this is the, in my opening take, I kind of took a shot at a little bit, a mini shot at Samuel Cosme. And you texted me you know last night. Go ahead, and you can let it all out. How how cool was it? I know it was. Uh, you said something along the lines of Samuel Cosme talking trash, and then Oklahoma having a game like that with its defensive front. You know what was that like? It's just, watching it's, that for you, it's really satisfying.
1: It's awesome, and so it also. And just to go back to something that you said earlier, it's just it's kind of an affirmation that my that my eyes aren't lying to me when I watch this when I watch this offensive line this season. They've been freaking dominant this year. No one has been able to block them at all. Texas really was the first team um, that they played that was okay and content with kind of sitting back in the pocket and trying to go through their progressions. And he got sacked nine times.
0: <laughs> and so, That's a like, really good point. And so I, about I, how they how they were the first team to actually try to do that. Great point.
1: And so this is it's getting to the point where this is not a hyperbolic statement at all. This is absolutely one of the best defensive lines in college football. Probably in the top five. They're really good. I mean, they're <laughs> dominant.
0: And it's a lot of the same players they had last year. I mean, Jalen Redmond's like the one guy that's kind of new, and he played a couple snaps a year ago, but it's, it's Neville Gallimore. It's Ronnie Perkins. Oh, sorry, yeah. Ron, yeah Stokes plays right, a lot. Yeah, Le'Ron Stokes, yep. Yeah. He, he was okay. kind of
1: the one guy I didn't really notice a ton yesterday, but I, I wasn't watching super closely at him, I suppose.
0: Yeah, okay. You're right, yeah, Stokes, that's two. But, I mean, for the most part, the main dudes, I mean, Gallimore Perkins were there all year last year. Overton was there all year last year. They got Kenneth Mann back. He's, he's kind of getting back into the swing of things. Mann kind of flashed, actually, a little bit. Yeah. He looked active. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so that entire group is, is getting it done. And just to go through the numbers, just in case you haven't heard them yet, or if you have, I'll just reiterate. Tied a school record, Oklahoma did, with nine sacks and recorded its most tackles for loss, which was 15, in a game since 2011. And back then, they actually had 16 against Texas. So, uh, back in 2011, they had a, a huge TFL game against, uh, against Texas. Uh, it says, if, I'm looking at Oklahoma's game notes that Mike Hauk sends out. It says it was the fourth time Oklahoma has totaled nine sacks in a game. That's it. Fourth time in team history. Wow. Okay. Um, and Well, you got to 15- think, I mean...
1: That that's pretty much all, and you got to think in the in this like millennium, right? Because yeah, it was
0: the other three times were '05 against Nebraska, 2011 against Arkansas, and 1983 against Kansas State.
1: Would have to be 2001 against Arkansas. They didn't play Arkansas in 2011. It's probably the 2001 Cotton Bowl. It's okay, probably yeah, a typo. It's, it's
0: probably a it's probably a typo. Okay, yeah. So yeah, they sacked Matt Jones like a million times. Oh yeah, that was like the final score, like ten to three. Yes, like a, a, yeah. a Big Ten game broke out in two thousand one or a, oh yeah twenty nineteen Big Ten game broke out and back in two thousand one. That's that's something I kind of noticed when I would go back
1: and rewatch some of their the er, Bob Stoops early teams. Man, the Big Twelve in the in the early part of the two thousands played some pretty hardcore Big Ten football. Man, mm-hmm. like everyone was pretty much in the I formation except for Kansas State <laughs> and OU.
0: Fifteen tackles for loss for Oklahoma was their second most ever against Texas, which I guess I kind of just said because they had 16 back in 2011. So, yeah, I mean, that entire group going going nuts. And uh, speaking of, uh, again, to bring up Samuel Cosme, because in case you forgot, he had some uh, not-so-great words about Neville Gallimore and Ronnie Perkins saying along the lines of, uh, they're solid players but not uh, not too much to worry about. And I think they say, he said something like, they're not super special. I found it in the second quarter, there was a moment on first down and 10 where Gallimore got some pressure and forced El- got a little hit on Ellinger, forced Ellinger to step up, and then Ronnie Perkins finished the sack. And I thought that was kind of poetic, where the two guys that Samuel Cosby had some words about basically resulted in, uh, or were the two guys that made Ellinger get sacked. And I thought that was very fun, just that one, one particular play.
1: Jeez, man, Ellinger took a beating. He got hit a lot. On Saturday, he got hit a lot. Um, mm-hmm. God, I mm-hmm. just—I they were so good. Didn't he? Didn't he only throw for like a shade over two hundred yards? And he didn't—he and he dropped back to throw almost fifty times. That is so El- phenomenal.
0: Ellinger, twenty-six of thirty-eight, two hundred and ten yards passing, no touchdowns, no picks.
1: And with the nine sacks, those are other dropbacks right there. So, like, oh my gosh, yeah. that is just dominant. That is. I I don't know if you can play more dominant spread defense than that. The Saturday was was a was exactly to a T best case scenario for Alex Grinch's philosophy on defense. That's exactly what it's supposed to look like, and it was fun, man. It's beautiful.
0: All right, as uh, I feel like our defensive talk is kind of getting to the end here. I just going as I'm looking through my notes here as well. I just want a couple of random uh, random guys I want to credit. On that same series, first series of the third quarter, uh, defensively, whenever I shouted out Kenneth Murray and Gallimore and Davis on that third down sack. On second down, um, let's see. Hold on. Uh, There was a play that Justin Broyles made. Justin Broyles coming in and and, and coming up aggressively and getting a tackle for loss on Duvernay on a quick pass as well. So it wasn't just... Brendan Radley-Hiles and Jaden Davis making those plays kind of in the slot on Duvernay. Uh, Justin Broyles came in spelling, you know, I guess it probably it was either – it would have been either Pat Fields or DTY. And Justin <clears throat> Justin Broyles got a TFL. So I want to give credit to him too. Um, let's see as I, I keep going through my notes. If there's anything that comes up, sorry that I'm I'm reading as I'm uh, trying to talk on a podcast. But, uh, man, I mean just – I mean, good job by the defense on that one wherever, yeah, that weird one where Duvernay called for a fair catch and didn't catch it, which didn't know that was a rule, but Oklahoma had played defense where Texas had the ball at their own five, and that was a great series where Oklahoma, uh, actually Oklahoma was kind of, you know, here's more here's breaks it into Oklahoma's way. Colin Johnson dropped the ball on an RPO that was just right to him, and then Brennan Eagles, it was a, it would have been a tough catch, but he dropped a ball on a deep shot where Motley had okay coverage, but... I think the ball ball should have been caught there. So that was a, a series where Oklahoma got a couple breaks, and then that was the one where it ended with Ellinger kind of running the quarterback option on third and long from their own one after all those false start penalties. And it looked like Brian well, Perkins and, and Kenneth Mann got in on that tackle.
1: Well, if Hurts throwing that terrible pick doesn't count as a break for Texas, then Texas dropping passes doesn't count as a break for OU. Okay. Like, right? Okay. It doesn't.
0: I'm just trying to make sure that we pointed out that it's not all going against Oklahoma. Of course, it is. The world is against them. <laughs> How about this? Um, okay, and I've, I just finally got to my notes. Wherever you mentioned Brendan Radley, hiles blowing up that that swing pass thing, and Jalen Redmond got the sack. So yeah, I actually thought that was a play, Grant, where it was a it was going to be a fake to Duvernay, because it looked like to me that the wide receivers on the outside were doing their little fake block thing, and they were gonna they were gonna release and go deep, and I they didn't show a good wide shot of it, but I'm guessing that the D backs just all were, were uh, you know, that top-down defense Alex Grinch was talking about all week, and they denied, uh, you know, a deep shot for Ellinger, and then that's how Redmond was able to get in there and get the sack. So that was a nice play. Um, How about this? The last thing, this isn't even defensive. This is a special team. We'll do a quick special teams thing. Gabe Berkich, give him credit, kicking field goals, making every kick. And did you notice, Grant, after uh, the Duvernay thing where Oklahoma, uh, you know, that was a break there. Duvernay didn't catch the ball, and Texas started at their own five. But the next time Oklahoma was kicking off, uh, the next time, because Oklahoma went up 17-10, there was a great kickoff by Burkich where he forced Duvernay to catch the ball near the sideline at the two-yard line, and Oklahoma, the special teams, the kick team, tackled him inside the 20. That kind of looked a lot like what Georgia was doing to Oklahoma in that Rose Bowl a couple years ago. It's like, is this finally part of kind of like, we thought, oh, maybe Shane Beamer coming over. He's partly special teams. Maybe we'll start seeing some of that. I we saw a little bit of that against Texas. That was cool. Maybe a little bit of that
1: is that, hey, you know, you got you got more blue chip recruits coming in here. You got which means you got four and five star guys playing on special teams. So now you got elite athletes. I mean, you've seen Trajan Bridges on special teams. He's been like dominant on kickoff coverage this year. Ramondre, Stevenson, Ramondre Stevenson made a really a nice tackle. play. Yeah. yeah. So I mean that that's probably got a lot to do with it and I'm glad that they're that they're doing stuff like this cuz that can be a real weapon. Um field position in these games are are really important and so I it's and there's just kind of something about a, a a nice play on kickoff coverage sort of just lights a fire a little bit.
0: So it's fun. Oh yeah. Especially considering the fire is lit and then you have a defense that comes out that's a real defense right now. And it's a defense that you have a little bit of confidence in they're not going to give up a 37-yard play right off the bat. So it's, it's all coming together. It's becoming more and more of a complete team. Any other thoughts on the defense before we shift over to the offense?
1: God, I just – I mean, I hope they, they continue this. Um, so I, I think it's it's not crazy to say that if this is if this is a sign of things to come for the defense going forward this season, they're not going to lose in the Big 12. It's just not going to happen. Um, so until at least they, they would play maybe a – I think Texas is the only team in this conference that has a prayer of beating Oklahoma – uh so it's exciting for sure going forward. I just I hope it's not a mirage. And I mean we're we're halfway through the season now and they've they've put way more good tape on on film than or good play on film than not. So I mean we're we're definitely trending towards saying, "I this this defense might be good. Not
0: great, but they might be good." All right, offensively, let's shift over to that side of the ball and let's start with positive and the best player on the field Saturday in the Cotton Bowl was C.D. Lamb, and briefly mentioned his stats at the very top of the show. Grant, I mean, how many wow plays did this guy make in the game, and how I want to tee you up is I tweeted this out Saturday as well, and I know we've talked about this a little bit on the podcast before, and I'm sure you might have had some of these thoughts too, but I couldn't help but think of the Bama-Clemson national title game and how Trevor Lawrence just threw up a lot of passes to his five-star future NFL wide receivers and let those guys make plays against Alabama's secondary one-on-one and one-on-one situations and those guys did it t higgins and justin ross and i say that because i go back to the cotton bowl on saturday it was very clear that lincoln riley was making it a point that you know what we're not gonna have texas dictate this game we're gonna get the ball into cd lamb's hands a lot because this guy is a talented future pro and he did not disappoint and he is one of those players like a justin ross like a, a t higgins like like we saw in that clemson bama title game where you get oklahoma in a in a a big 12 championship sh- scenario a playoff scenario a against texas in the cotton bowl scenario and a basically a must-win game for oklahoma that you can just say you know what dude you got one-on-one go win us the game we're gonna get you the ball make some plays and he can do that so uh mad props to cd lamb we keep saying awesome things we keep giving him credit and he is earning it and uh and showing us why that he is one of the best wide receivers in college football
1: yeah it was after uh it was after his third touchdown the one where he plucked it from the air with the guy you know hanging on his back and then he split like three defenders and tiptoed down the sideline to score i sent out a tweet and i said um is C.D. Lamb the best player in the country? <laughs> and um, and it's a, a little, you know, saying that a little, you know, kind of a joke, but um, this is something that I, that I think is absolutely clear after Saturday's game. C.D. Lamb is absolutely the best player in the Big 12, and I, I
0: don't even know if it's that close. Just that play you were talking about that that uh, made you want to send that tweet out, which is a pretty funny tweet. Just in my notes, I put C.D. Lamb wow 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 in all caps because he comes back, he comes back to the ball. By the way, to bail out Jalen Hurts, who just again that that was by far his worst game as a Sooner. He comes back to it, which is all you know, always something that you see receivers do. That is, is uh, you know, it's taught, it's it's instinctive, and he didn't let it come to him. So he comes back to get the ball. As he's making the catch, he's got Brandon Jones just draped on him immediately. So he's got to like catch the ball with a guy on him. Just shrugs him off. Keeps possession, then he turns it up field immediately, breaks another tackle, (laughs) and then scores. I I mean, just I mean, makes it a ten point game. Just doing it all on his own, and that's not even his best play of the game, which was his second touchdown that we played in the opening take, where he uh, I I can't remember who it was. I can go to my Twitter now because I want to give him credit because it was a really funny tweet, and they took a screenshot of C D Lamb. It was Spencer Davis who tweeted this out. And he's a screenshot of C.D. Lamb with four Texas players all standing up, converging on him. One, Brandon Jones is on the ground, but there's a fifth Texas player in the frame. And Spencer's tweet is C.D. Lamb scored on this play. (laughs) And that was just an incredible individual play from C.D. Lamb. He was so fun to watch. And Lincoln Riley set the tone early in that game, Grant, because on the first drive of the game for Oklahoma, what did – Lincoln Riley do on third down and then on fourth down he put the ball in CeeDee Lamb's hands both times that's exactly what you wanted to see coming into this game isn't it
1: yeah absolutely and he's um, this is something that uh, we've seen flashes of it but I don't think we've seen like kind of the full power of it until this season he's outstanding after the catch uh, like he just he's very hard to tackle he is shifty he is a he's quick and sudden um, my god he is so freaking good I am. Um, I, I'm. I'm very close. I'm going to see how this next game goes, but I'm pretty close to starting uh, or being the uh, the member or the the starting member of uh, CeeDee Lamb for for Big Twelve Player of the Year. I, I want to start stumping for it because I, I the game on Saturday. It's completely crystal clear in my mind. He's the best player in the conference. I, I just the
0: guy's insane. He is insane. Some CD Lamb notes. Courtesy of Mike Hawk in the game notes, just to kind of put this all and tie it all together. He tied the Oklahoma record for most receptions in the Red River showdown against Texas. D.D. Westbrook also had 10 back in 2016. He has now 28 career touchdown catches, which ranks third in school history. He needs three more to tie Mark Clayton for second place, and Ryan Broyles holds the career record with 45. C.D. ain't getting there uh, because he's not going to stay for another year. C.D. has scored a touchdown in eight straight games dating back to the 2018 Big 12 title. And is tied. Uh, that's tied for the second longest streak in program history, matching Mark Clayton, who had eight straight games in 2003. So C.D. Lamb could break a school record if he scores a touchdown uh, next week against West Virginia. Oh, Calhoun, okay, timeout. It says the school record is a touchdown in 10 straight games by, oh, D.D. Westbrook, who accomplished this feat in 2016. So, uh, so. Three more games and C.D. Lamb would have a school record for uh, you know, touchdowns in consecutive games. Let's see if there's any more here. That uh, is interesting. Uh, the last thing, he ranks sixth now all-time in Oklahoma career receiving yards. So Kenneth Murray uh, – uh, sorry, his name was below C.D. Lamb's in the game notes. That's why I said Kenneth Murray there. I'm not crazy. Uh, C.D. Lamb, a fantastic game and the best player on the field. Awesome. Awesome job. Having that been said – Kind of a weird game for the offense, huh? Yes. There was like no yes. flow whatsoever at all. It was a weird game for the offense, but I will say, like I said in the opening take, whenever the offense really needed to come through late in that game, the defense was starting to give up some points. The offense also picked up the defense and scored, scored, and then killed the clock when 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 uh, Texas was only down by a touchdown. So at least when Oklahoma needed a play, Oklahoma got a play, and – and Again, a lot the of the time, time it was C D
1: Lamb. It was pretty much C.D. Lamb in the second half. <laughs> yes. Uh but so let's,
0: uh, yeah, so do you want it to go let's we gotta do Jalen Hurts, right? I mean, because he uh, he he started out really well in that first series of the game and uh, then kind of went downhill a little bit here and there and then kind of kind of steadied out. You could tell after halftime, I mean, wasn't it pretty clear that uh, Lincoln Riley was kind of protecting him a little bit? He was, uh, as Colin Coward would say, was kind of babysitting him a little bit with the play calls, making it and uh, not asking him to do a whole lot kind of after halftime. Did you kind of get that sense, too?
1: Yeah, I thought uh, I thought Texas did a really good job of magnifying his limitations. Um, so as you can tell, just by watching the game back, he really struggled to sit in the pocket and go through his progressions. And Texas was blitzing from his right side a lot to take to take that away from him. So he had to he had to drift to his left a lot. He struggled at times for sure. And that doesn't mean he didn't have, he didn't have moments of brilliance cause he did. He made, he made a lot of plays in this game. Um, but I think he, he put more limitations on tape in this game than he has over the course of the season. And I, I hope that's something that can be, that can be ironed out because I, I do think that once you get into a college football playoff scenario, you, you're going to have to sit in the pocket and, and deliver balls to guys who are not open. Uh, that's, that's mm-hmm. just, that's just how it's going to have to work. um, but having that been said you know I thought um outside of just some really some really kind of airhead decisions that he made thrown to the end zone one that resulted in a pick um i I thought he was fine there re the game he he had more good throws than I remembered watching it
0: live okay that's good to see that's good to hear i uh, i thought his uh his best play of the game i thought and let' let's keep it positive and i, I it's tough to debate this. I think his best play of the game came on 3rd and 12 in the second half when, <laughs> when he did that thing where he went behind the back with the football to avoid a sack. And then he rolls out, extends the play, finds CD for an 11-yard gain. I thought that was the best play of the day for Hertz. but then unfortunately it was followed up by them going for it on 4th and 1, which I, I like the play call being aggressive, and then the ball gets tipped at the line of scrimmage. And CD was wide open, but, you know, the tip ball and, and Oklahoma's offense is off the field and Texas gets a stop. I mean, that it was kind of like a you know, a great play by Hertz followed up by something that he, he couldn't really control. But I, even though the ball got tipped, it's like, ah, like it's just that was the kind of day it was for him. Uh, but what did you think about that? That crazy play where he went behind the back with the ball? That was pretty neat. I've never seen that before.
1: That was a great individual play. It was that was that was Baker Mayfield esque that that look that's something that Baker would do I feel like yeah <laughs> um and uh, a thing that's disappointing C D Lamb had that first down he caught the ball half a yard past this past the sticks that was frustrating that that wasn't reviewed or anything like that um and it just his momentum brought him brought him uh, you know brought him past the sticks so that that was just and then Texas of course scored a touchdown on on the very next drive so that was that was just really frustrating.
0: So, yeah, I mean, it's up and down game for Hurts. Whenever they were up 17-10 to 10 and they were driving, he had, uh, and I kind of referenced this a little bit ago, but you know, back when we were talking defense, I think, but just a bizarre, just a risky throw on third down into the end zone where he was kind of scrambling and kind of going to the sideline just threw it up there, and it was almost picked off. And uh, luckily it wasn't, and Gabe Berkich hit his 34-yard field goal to make it a two-possession game. But, you know, he was trying to do a little bit too much sometimes in that game, and, and uh, it's – it's nice I think it it's obviously nice that he's been so good this year and I mean the defense has been good too but this was the first time really where he wasn't dictating everything he wasn't playing at an elite level and the rest of his guys picked him up I mean he was picked up by the rest of his team and and he's such a team guy and you kind of get the sense that he is he's obviously the leader of this team and and they're all kind of following him a little bit but uh after the game, Jalen said that he definitely didn't put the team in the greatest or the best situations, but Jalen said that the key about that is we. we found ways to overcome it. we had each other's back, perseverance and mental toughness uh he said it's it's not it wasn't a complete game by them, but in true Jalen hurts fashion, he said that they took another step, and so I thought that was kind of neat that. Obviously, he acknowledged that. Yeah, he wasn't at his best, but as a team, we they they found a way, and they found a way to to offensively get things done whenever they needed to. Late in the game, whenever Texas's offense was kind of starting to figure out Oklahoma's defense, and uh, it was just it was a very satisfying completion to the game. Let's see. Uh, how about the running game? Let's shift into that because I kind of wanted to to bring up a couple plays late in the game that helped Oklahoma seal it off. Uh, kind of bizarre. I mean, Trey Sermon not featured at all didn't even he didn't get, get a carry, carry.
1: that's uh, yeah i mean really he was odd playing.
0: i mean he was getting snaps i mean he was in there it's just lincoln riley obviously was thinking like we need more explosiveness kennedy brooks back after t- missing two games I, I put my notes you know very first carry i said oh welcome back kennedy brooks good to see you uh he had that explosive play and then later in the game he had another explosive play a little bit of ramondre stevenson mixed in we saw tj pledger mixed in I think even before we saw Ramondre Stevenson get a carry if I'm not mistaken so and he looked really useful too yes yes and I think what that tells us is again that's a that's Lincoln Riley thinking you know we need more explosiveness in this game against a Texas defense Uh, Trey Sermon is not a player that you would describe as an explosive player he is a He's a very uh, let's see what's the best. I mean, he's not like he's slow or anything like that, but he's he's deliberate. Uh, he, he's patient. Deliberate. Okay, there we go. Th- thank you, thank you for picking me up. Thank you for uh, for being the we in this podcast and, and helping me through it. Yes, and uh, so we yeah we saw Brooks, we saw a little bit of Pleasure, a little bit of Stevenson, and I wanted to point out after Texas had kicked the field goal to cut it to twenty seven to twenty, and the Oklahoma offense okay taking the ball back only up by one possession first 10 first and 10 from their own 25 this is the fourth quarter and all game long you had seen cd lamb going in motion whether it's just left to right or across the formation or even orbit motion and they do it again they keep showing texas one thing getting the eye discipline moving getting a little eye candy as a lot of defensive coordinators want to call it and for the first time i think maybe all game they motion lamb across to the field side And Oklahoma runs that GT counter back the other way to the boundary, and Kennedy Brooks has his second explosive run of the day. Gets from the Oklahoma 25 to the Texas 33. And uh, Joe Clapp pointed out that Marquise Hayes had a big block on that play. And then the very next play, uh, Ramondre Stevenson goes for 24 yards inside the 10-yard line. And just after Texas had cut it to seven points and thought, okay, here's our chance to get off the field and get the ball back to the offense, which is starting to move the ball against his Oklahoma defense – OU's offense with the run game, something that Texas has he- has hung its hat on all season long, busts off two explosive run plays to say, you know what, yeah, you're not going to get this one, guys. We're-, we're better than you, and we know it. So I wanted to point that out in the run game. Uh, very well done from Lincoln Riley. He had kind of set up that all game long, and it paid off there with that explosive play to Brooks and then to Stevenson as well. I more just kind of want to talk about just the
1: weird – Sort of the weird nature of the game in the sense that it it did not it did not transpire at all how I envisioned it. Um, okay. if if you listen to the preview, I said that OU should come out throwing um, because I thought if you want to come out running the ball, you're playing right into Texas's strengths. And they are they a really good run defense coming into this game. Texas had no answer for OU's run game whatsoever. And I kind of left and I even I even had I had this this thought while watching the game live and also while re watching it, Lee oh, you should have run the ball way more than they did. Um, in the third quarter, kind of when they allowed Texas to get back into it, it was because, you know, a lot of the times it was because they, they weren't running the ball. Um, they, they were getting chunk plays pretty much the entire game. They had a lot of space to maneuver in the run game. And they're running this new kind of uh, this veer play to the outside that's been really successful for them. Um, it was their most successful or consistently successful run play against Kansas last week. And then uh, Brooks broke it off a couple times again uh, yesterday. And then Jalen Hurts also kept it a couple times, and he picked up eight or nine yards each time as well. So that's something to keep an eye out later as the year goes on as well. But I I, I really think they should have ran the ball a lot more than they did. Um, as soon as it became clear that Texas didn't really have an answer for it, and especially when once Malcolm Roach came out of the game, Um, I, I kind of thought that they should have ran the ball a little more than they actually did, but I'm glad they won. Um, especially, you know, and they struggled kind of inside the 10 yard line as well uh, throughout the game and, you know, no carries for Trey Sermon. It seemed like they were trying to force it a little too much with Jalen. So, um, but it seems like there's one game a year like that where Lincoln
0: sort of just, he kind of outsmarts himself too much. See, I was thinking about that a little bit too during the game, thinking, you know, it'd be nicer it'd be nice to run the ball a little bit more. And here's my takeaway from that. I think that a lot of the times, obviously coming into the game, they knew that Texas pass defense was was very susceptible. And Lincoln knew and knows that Texas, even though they were having a little bit of success running the ball, Texas still, every single play, it seems like, really loads up against the run and just tries to bring people and run blitz, things like that. And he, he was trying to catch Texas over-aggressive and you know, have some shots in the passing game. And I you know maybe in the trained eye with Lincoln Riley going back for the All-22, maybe there was instances where... A lot of his calls were good, throwing the ball, but maybe Jalen didn't see something or didn't see didn't go through his progressions correctly because he's still kind of learning that. I that's just speculation on my part. I I don't know. I didn't go back and rewatch it closely at all yet to to really see if I could see any of that stuff. But that's kind of my that's my theory as to why maybe they didn't run it as much as as you think they maybe should have because I think Riley was in his head. I think he he thought that they could kind of still have more success through the air. It just didn't work out that way. So yeah, I. I mean, Oklahoma ended up averaging 7.3 yards per carry in that game against a Texas team. Again, that came into the game hanging its hat on stopping the run and getting a lot of turnovers, and Texas forced two. I mean, Texas won the turnover battle and lost the game. And uh, I know going into it, I heard a Texas player talking about how, or maybe it was Tom Herman, and this is probably the case in a lot of football games in general. You win the turnover battle, you're going to probably win more than you lose, and especially in the OU-Texas game, the turnover battle is so important, but it didn't matter in this game. Oklahoma still won the game. Uh, Speaking of the running game and just uh, the office general, Grant, we haven't touched on this at all yet. Uh, Adrian Ely and Eric Swenson, both active, both started and played the entire game. And in the first series, I was kind of as the game was live, I was trying to watch them both closely to see how they looked out there. I didn't see any sort of problems just that first series. But I'll admit after that, I didn't take the time to really kind of eagle eye focus on them that much the rest of the game. The fact that I don't think we—I didn't really notice them a whole lot the rest of the way. I think that's probably a good thing. Upon rewatching it, did you pay any sort of closer attention to Ealy and Swinson, or, or uh, was it for you same as you, or you didn't really notice them that much, and that's maybe a good thing?
1: I didn't notice them a whole lot, and that is a good thing. I thought the offensive line, for the most part, was great. I thought they played really well. They picked up they picked up Texas's pressures really well. No sacks allowed. They were open up big holes in the run game. Um, the the deciding touchdown, the one that that Hertz scored at the goal line, that was blocked real well by by uh, Creed Humphrey. Marquise Hayes took somebody's life on that play as well. Um, the guy the guy who actually stood out the most to me during the game was Marquise Hayes. I saw him downfield just dragging guys on numerous occasions. So um, yeah, man, he's he's good. This offensive line is is. I mean, they they looked great. That was the biggest concern coming in. And I thought, you know, in terms of the offense, that was the best unit on the offense on Saturday.
0: And Lincoln was asked about Ely and Swinson after the game. And here's what Lincoln said. He said that Ely and Swinson weren't able to practice much this week. It it didn't look real promising. He said they were able to do some walkthroughs at the end of the week. And this is a quote from Riley. He said, they weren't healthy. They just gutted it out for us, end quote. And Riley even added that as late as Thursday, we didn't think we would have either one of them or maybe best case scenario, we'd have one of them, which kind of goes along with the information that I had kind of heard about. I, I heard that Ely might play and that Swinson was probably not going to. And then, boom, here you go. It, it's both of them playing. The question is, how how truthful is Lincoln Riley when it comes to that? Uh it's another OU Texas game, Grant, and it was very grim on the injury front for two really important players, and then, boom, just like that, kind of they're available. And, again, take Riley out of his word. He said they weren't healthy. They kind of gutted through it, and, you know, who knows? Maybe if this week they played West Virginia instead of Texas, maybe it's the same starting offensive lineman that we saw against Kansas, and those guys really are, you know, as, as uh, banged up as Riley made it out to be, and they still needed to rest. I guess you know maybe we'll learn more against West Virginia if those guys are playing again against West Virginia. Maybe that means that they're they're a little more healthy than than we thought, and maybe if they don't play, maybe you know maybe they were banged up and they just gutted it through it. But either way, as far as we know, looked like they played through it. They played well, and uh, hopefully there was no setbacks. But man, what a crazy scenario that was.
1: Yeah, I'm just I'm I'm glad they played and I'm glad it worked out. Hopefully, uh, hopefully they're good to go for the rest of the season. I guess yeah, you're right. We'll see how much. Uh, how much truth there was to them being, you know, super hurt or because, I mean, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I never know what to believe from the coaching staff. So I know. I guess we'll, we'll,
0: we'll see what happens next Saturday. All right. A couple uh, other grab bag topics, offensive wise, no grant Calcaterra. So that's uh, a surprise. Didn't know of any sort of uh, injuries or anything with him. So that, that was interesting. So maybe we'll find out more about Calcaterra on Monday at the, the Riley pressure. I, he wasn't asked about Calcutta after the game. And then also, too, I don't know if this is, well, I, there was no Robert Barnes. Robert Barnes didn't suit up. And so it kind of makes you think that, you know, is Robert Barnes' time at Oklahoma? Is he going to be one of those guys maybe that tries to redshirt and maybe transfer? That's speculation on my part. I don't know if there's any sort of pay sites out there that have more information on Robert Barnes. Because, uh, again, I don't really go to those that much. I know you kind of do sometimes. but uh, So I just wanted to point it out that I know that's the defensive guy. We could have talked about Barnes and defensive talk. But, uh, um, anyways, those two players not suited up. Calcaterra, obviously, more, a little more interesting, I'll be honest, than Barnes because, you know, we haven't seen a whole lot of Barnes this year. Yeah, do you have any thoughts on those guys?
1: No, I mean, yeah, I share your thoughts. I don't want to speculate too much, but – yeah, I mean, it definitely looks like Barnes is going to redshirt. And, um, I don't know, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens after that. He he he, he certainly seems like a
0: candidate to, to enter that transfer portal. All right, let's see. You know what, that's all I have in the, the rundown as far as bullet points to touch on. I feel like we're leaving a lot out. Maybe because it was such a crazy, fun game. I mean, it was a stressful game. It should have been more of a blowout for Oklahoma, but... Still, getting the win was the most important thing. Let's see. Anything else that we haven't touched on? Let's see. Um, Um, Georgia losing was interesting. So, yeah, I mean, if we want to go away from Oklahoma, yeah, I mean, Georgia losing in overtime to South Carolina. And I know Georgia's a team that I haven't seen a whole lot of this year at all. Uh, It seems like a lot of the national media, I mean, obviously the AP poll has Georgia, you know, had Georgia at three, and a lot of that to me just kind of seemed like, uh, by default, you know, they're in the SEC. Georgia's had a lot of success the last couple of years, obviously. So we're going to have Georgia up there. I mean, they got an experienced quarterback. But, uh, man, I mean, again, I didn't see much of the game. I saw the end and overtime. I saw how that ended up. But managing only 17 points at home when you're a 24-point favorite over South Carolina, a team that that's not that special, uh, that's not a good look at all for Georgia. And I guess you could make the argument, you know, it, as Oklahoma supporters, you watch OU. OU did lose to Iowa State a couple of years ago at home, an Iowa State team that nobody really knew about, and Oklahoma was a massive favorite. I think OU was, was OU like a 30-point favorite in that game? It was like 28 so,
1: and a half or something. Yeah, it so, was I mean, it so, was
0: large. So OU's been there too. So, I mean, it's, to be fair, you, you can't really throw a lot of shade on Georgia because, again, a couple years ago, this happened to Oklahoma with Baker Mayfield at quarterback. And to a backup quarterback too. It was, yep, you know. Yep. So, 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 I, there's not a, there's, we can't, you know really dive in that much as far as ripping georgia i don't think but just generally that's yeah it's not a great look for georgia and now they have to win out to have any sort of chance to do anything and obviously if they if they win out i mean they're gonna you know and they win the sec they're gonna make the playoff most likely but uh yeah that that was a surprising result yeah and that was really the only one of the weekend too
1: so we thought I thought maybe after it was like OU won and then Georgia lost and I was like oh it would be sweet if this is just a freaking crazy week and and OU is safely in the clubhouse but um, nah it didn't didn't turn out that way Alabama sort of sleepwalked and still ho hum beat a And M by twenty
0: yeah hey good um, call on that by the way yeah good yeah. call on just like what has a And M done and you know just another another time I think after the game I heard Saban in his post game interview on CBS said something like yeah I mean this is this is a like you said, this is a tough place to play, and I just was like, "Yeah, this tough place to play, where you show up and you once again not only win but you cover the spread." Yeah, it, Alabama—it's not tough at all for Alabama to go into College Station. They—I mean, the one time that uh, that a and got him with Manziel, that was in Tuscaloosa, weirdly enough. So, <laughs> uh, so I thought that was kind of funny. Yeah, I mean, they they show up and 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 cover the sixteen and a half point spread. Yeah, I thought uh, the
1: other. I thought the you know the other interesting result was just uh, thought that Florida LSU game was interesting. LSU's offense is insanely good, uh, over ten and a half yards per play against Florida, who had like a top five defense coming into that game. So that's uh,
0: hadn't played any good offenses yet, but still, that's they have a good defense. Just wanted to point I mean, that out. And, LSU played
1: and- Texas. Texas has a good offense. And they gave up, like,
0: 500 yards? No, 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 and, no, no. no. I'm, I'm, I said Florida's defense. Oh, Florida. Gotcha. Okay. They hadn't seen a good offense yet. But, I but mean, still, 10.6 10, yards per play? Oh, yeah. No, it's great. Like, I'm just and, – and LSU had not seen a defense like that, and LSU performed. So I brought that up the last podcast of, like, you know, wh- which side do you take? You know, which – and I was on LSU leaning, and, and, boy, that was a heck of a goal line stand there by the LSU defense to keep Florida out of the end zone late in that game to to keep the cover intact that was great i enjoyed that but yeah lsu great team, scary team i mean the, the i guess the upside is that lsu or bama one of those teams will lose i mean they will have a loss so uh but uh, yeah i mean I, I think we saw some people on the on the facebook page maybe kind of or maybe on twitter you were responding to some people about the playoff and like scenarios playing out and like what would happen and and like I think you're more into that stuff than I am. I mean, right now, to me, again, it's like Oklahoma six and OU takes care of business. Oklahoma's in the playoff. I mean, there's t- there's not going to be anybody that's not going to be a, an issue. So uh, yeah, yeah,
1: and I'm 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 more of the mind now. I think I think OU may have to go undefeated to get into this thing, but of course, it always depends. You never. I mean, nobody thought that Georgia would lose this week. Yeah, um, and it yeah. happened. So we'll we'll just have to see. Uh, but other things that I thought were interestingly. Um, Baylor beats Texas Tech in overtime, thirty-three to thirty. Lee Texas Tech put five hundred and ten yards of offense up on Baylor, three hundred and sixty-two yards through the air. OU's
0: defensive performance against them looking a little better now, maybe. Yeah, yeah, and that's a game that Texas Tech should have won. Texas Tech takes the lead uh, with like under two minutes to play. I mean, they they score a touchdown to take the lead, and I don't know how much how much you saw that, Grant, but. There was a moment, there was like a minute 20 to go or a minute 29 to go in the game. Baylor had second down and 18 from their own one-yard line. And somehow they moved the ball all the way down there in less than 90 seconds and kicked a field goal that's in the game to overtime. And I honestly, I didn't see that drive because I was working and I was kind of doing other stuff. But I remember I saw Baylor get sacked down to the one. I thought, oh my God, this game's over. Tech's going to win this game. Like what a win for Tech. And all of a sudden I look up and they're kicking a field goal that, Send the game to overtime, man. So Baylor had to, Brewer had to put together a heck of a drive there in the last 80 seconds to get them in the in the field goal range there. So that was you know, kind of interesting.
1: This this may prove foolish for me to say, but I doubt it. I'm just not scared of Baylor at all. I'm just not scared to go into Waco. I I think OU is going to beat them easily. Like I, I just they they yeah they just don't scare me. So sure. um and then the other the other game was uh Iowa State. Uh, went on the road beat West Virginia by 24 it looks like they just kind of ho-hum beat them pretty easily so um, Iowa State I mean of course this is kind of the time Iowa State always peaks so we'll see if they can kind of claw themselves back into this thing um, The you know I think that yeah they still only have one loss and that's to Baylor so they get Texas at home I think they have some other advantageous home games as well so
0: mm-hmm. I don't know Iowa State is at Texas Tech though next week which now Texas Tech's kind of starting to feel themselves a little bit, even after losing to Baylor. I mean, they should have won the game. I mean, they're going to go back home to Lubbock. Oklahoma State just got beat there, and I mean, that's an interesting game. I mean, the Big Twelve, man, top to bottom, is there's some solid teams. I mean, this is not a pushover. I think I saw Bill Connolly tweet out on Sunday the his new like S&P ratings, like conference ratings. I think he had Big Twelve number two, and they're like I think
1: right on the heels of the SEC. I. Yeah. May have been wrong about this one. You guys, know I came into the season. I said I thought the Big 12 was going to be, was going to take a pretty big step back this year,
0: actually. And that very clearly does not seem to be the case. Oh, my gosh. You know what? I just realized I didn't put in the rundown. Three word reviews. We got to go three word reviews, of course. <laughs> my gosh. We're kind of blowing, like we're wasting time here. All right. So, do you have Twitter up, by the way? No, I don't. All right, because I want to make sure to go to Facebook, too, because I have Twitter. We got a lot of them. Gosh, I'm sorry about this, everybody, for taking this on to get the three-word reviews. So, Grant, uh, as I'm logging into Facebook, actually, you know what? I'm going to go through Twitter a bit, a bit, and then, like, maybe you'll you'll uh, want to comment on some stuff, and then I'll log into Facebook and get those. So we got a lot. Uh, let's go through them. I might go through these quickly and may not be able to comment on all of them, but uh, Jared says defense was dominant. Dude from Edmund, sacks, sacks, sacks. like that one. Uh, our step-cousin, Daniel, <laughs> he's calling his shot, Grant. Three consecutive Heismans. Interesting three-word review after Jalen Hurts' worst game. Yeah, I think Joe Sooner.
1: Burrow probably uh, has has positioned himself ahead of, of Jalen Hurts at this point in time, but you
0: never know. <laughs> ben says defense is legit. Benjamin, well-rounded team. Yeah, it's a lot more complete team than, than we've seen recently. Our cousin, <laughs> CD is good. <laughs> <laughs> and then he put the Happy Gilmore gif wherever he uh, it looks, or I'm sorry, uh, Billy Madison gif where he looks over and like they're playing, they're doing that contest at the end of the movie where he looks over and Sandler says, ah, he's good <laughs> when it's like a music competition. Oh, that was pretty good. Let's see. Here. What I'm on some other ones.
1: I'm on the Facebook one. I can, I can read some of the ones on. on all right. The right
0: Facebook yeah. Go to Facebook. All right. All right. Go to Facebook then. Okay. So here we we'll go back and forth.
1: Yep. Dakota says grants conspiracy win. And I think they're referring to my uh, me, me saying that, about the injuries with Ely and Swenson. So I didn't say it on the last one, but I almost said I was like, ah, I still don't think Ely's actually hurt. So I don't know. <laughs> maybe maybe I was right about that.
0: What else you got on Facebook?
1: Let's see here. Derek Kendall says, sacked, 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 times three in parentheses for nine sacks. Um, let's see here. Uh, he says, behind the back with a lot of exclamation points. I'm referring to the... The amazing uh, individual play from Jalen Hurts. Um, let's see here. There's there's a lot of good ones on here. Justin Yates, Red River Victory, Believe in Defense, TDs for CD. Says control <laughs> your future. Absolutely. Um, let's see here. Greg Blackwood says
0: Cosme was wrong. Agreed. Yeah, <laughs> I work with Greg at News Nine, and we were talking about that the other day. He's he. Uh, so th- thanks thanks to Greg again for listening to the podcast. It's awesome. But uh, yeah, that's a good one.
1: <laughs> Trey Kirkpatrick says Grinch earned money he also says special Sooner team question mark maybe maybe Trey I'm
0: not sure um, let's see here uh, here here. I'll, I'll go back over to Twitter and you can look at some more Facebook um, let's see CD and D from James Michael says defense saves offense uh, John is uh, kind of in your boat Grant when it comes to Oklahoma not getting any breaks he says Sooners overcome officiating Uh, He actually has three, John does. This is a good one. Sad Sacked Sam. (laughs) That's a really good one. Uh, CD times three, also from John. Also, uh, Josh is kind of on your side, too, when it comes to the offense. Josh says, run the ball. Uh, Let's see. Oh, this is a good one from Brian. (laughs) Ellinger Sack Lunch. (laughs) Uh, Speed D kills from Brian as well. Brian with a lot of them. Let's see. Um... I'm almost done with the Twitter ones. Chase says, Texas is back? With the question mark. Uh, Sega sooner. Mike Stoops who? Just taking a... Yeah, I mean, that's, that's again, that part of my opening take. What a difference a year makes. And uh, Justin on the Kenneth Murray train says, Murray for butt kiss. And uh, O'Brien with one more. I got another one. Cosme is trash. So... uh and Jared's got one too, but it's not safe for work, so I'm not going to read it on the air. So that's all from Twitter. Thanks, guys. Grant, you have any more from Facebook? Yeah, I
1: got some. I got some decent ones here. Scotty Ward says, "I want to believe." I'm right there with you, man. Right there yeah, with a you. Yeah, that's good one. Yeah, that's uh, a good one. Brad Manning says, "Drinking the Kool Aid." Okay, so he's mm-hmm. he's been convinced. And then Mark Allum says, "Cosme eats words." I'm I'm all for the for the pylon Sam Cosme train. All <laughs> yeah. for it. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty much any- all I got on here.
0: Uh, this is, you know, I got to say, though, you know, we're piling on Cosme. But hey, BJ Foster had a good point. Uh, maybe Jalen, uh, Jalen Hurts should have slid because maybe he wouldn't have fumbled. <laughs> maybe, but uh, also, but whatever. Fumbles are flutes. I know, Who no. cares? That was just that was just a stupid thing. Uh, I, I know you never want to do these three-word reviews, and I realize I have not given mine either. I have one, but it doesn't count. I Mine's... Uh, Four words, and since it's our, since it's our podcast, I'm just going to use it as my three words. I I thought this was kind of clever, and it's kind of playing off a lot of uh, the three word reviews that you guys have had. But I'm going to kind of give it a little bit of an extra spin. Mine is extra D in CD because the defense is really good, and also CD Lamb is really good. So that's a that's my four word review. Huh. All right, that's uh, that's it. Well done, everybody. Thank you for all the three word reviews. Uh, I got the the tweet and the Facebook message out right when the game ended so that when I do that then you guys send them a lot in a lot uh, in, in a lot more I guess uh, abundance if you will I right, grant any final thoughts before we get out of here
1: not really uh, just hey this is the first time they've gotten past Texas undefeated since 2010 um, or I'm sorry think, 2011 2011, 2011. 2011. Yeah. sorry um, that seems like a long time doesn't it so
0: it does. It's it does. gonna it's
1: just the pressure is gonna get is gonna get uh is gonna get more extreme as the season goes on. And you know what? I'm I'm glad Jalen Hurts is their quarterback. I think he's gonna be able to kind of guide them through this. And uh geez man, if the defense just keeps improving, look out. Look out. I I, I I the goal I think for this team needs to be peaking in December, um, going into the playoff, hopefully. So let's you know, half the season's done. Let's see what they do in the second half.
0: All right, I am also glad that Jalen Hurts is the Oklahoma quarterback, and we didn't really talk about this at all today, but we talked about it a little bit off air. The last thing, just because Hurts, he didn't, you know, he showed some limitations, didn't play all that well, but there's no reason to panic about Jalen Hurts. It's one game. I think he'll be okay. And I think you feel the same way. Correct? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right, that's it for today. We'll be back next week to talk about OU West Virginia. Until then, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest.